What's up, sports fans? I'm back. This is episode 5 of the Fan of the People podcast, sponsored by Anchor. Before this podcast, I'd like to give a huge thank you to my cousin Karsten, um, who hooked me up with a nice new mic, so I won't have to use voice memos on my phone to record these episodes anymore. So big thanks to Karsten, who also has his own podcast called MLWD, which is My Life with Diabetes, and this is a podcast where he talks about his diabetes and hopes to help other newly diagnosed diabetics learn and know what to expect. He also posts videos where he discusses deep and different topics, and all of his episodes are great, so be sure to check him out. But without further ado, let's get right into this episode of Fan of the People. Peace. I'm going to start off this podcast by asking a question. Why do people play the Mega Millions? Or, you know, why do you play the lottery in general? You know, the obvious answer is to, you know, win money, but will that money allow you to do? Maybe you live comfortably, make sure your family lives comfortably, or even just eliminate money as a problem in your life. Getting a lot of money when you're already employed can give you a lot of leverage. You can afford to take more time off, you know, and if your boss doesn't like it, you can just tell him to take a hike. You can tell your boss that you don't want to go on that business trip and you basically become your own boss. So the odds are terrible, and so why do we play Mega Millions? It seems like the only people who win are the lottery companies, you know, who are supposed to put that money back into the school systems and education, but that has since been forgotten, I guess. So why do we play? Well, we play because we like to have leverage. You know, I've done a bit of research on this and figured out that most people who win the lottery don't quit their jobs. Now, why is that? Leverage. Everybody wants leverage in life. Everybody wants to be able to tell their boss, you know what, I'm going to take the weekend off, and oh yeah, by the way, I'm taking off Monday and Friday off next week as well. And if you're really good at your job, this works even better. Because you probably already had a little leverage saved up that you haven't had to use yet. And your boss might not question it. Now, let me explain why I'm going on and on about the lottery. So Kawhi Leonard is taking some games off. And now it's becoming a trend in the NBA. It's called load management. Now in the NBA, mostly every team is trying to show that they are player friendly. And that they give the player more leverage than any other team. Players joining forces. It's really not that, you know, it's really not that much about which team will get me a championship anymore. It's more about what team do I have the most leverage on? Where can I push my brand on? You know, you know. And teams want to be seen as player friendly. Simple as that. The Raptors and the Clippers don't love this, of course, but the Raptors got a championship out of this. You know, Kawhi is the best player in the NBA right now, and if if you need a bucket to win you a game, he's your guy. If you need a big stop at the end of a game, he's your guy. He's the best player, so he has the most leverage. You know, Kawhi was the best player last season, so he already had leverage from that, and we all underestimated his leverage this offseason. So he played 60 games last year, took a little bit of the load off his shoulders. He put it on guys like Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, and when it came time for the playoffs, he was a monster. The load he lifted off his shoulders during the regular season was a lot easier to put back on after taking 20 games off. Then Kawhi and the Raptors win the finals and Kawhi gains more leverage. You know, on top of that, he ended the era of the quote-unquote super teams. And now Kawhi has has got all this leverage. And he's won the lottery in some sense. You know, he's got so much leverage that he can do whatever he wants. And so my, my friend Thatcher is really into computer science and he might major in it. 
I know other kids who are interested in IST and software engineering as well. And when my friend Thatcher graduates with a computer science degree, you know, he's going to have a lot of leverage because there isn't a lot of people out there right now with the skills to work as a software engineer or a web developer, but there's about to be a zillion tech jobs open and you can't fill them all. Because there are so many jobs open, the employees have a good amount of leverage. Because if you think about it, why would someone who has a skill in computer programming stay at a company that isn't worker friendly? Mm. By the time my friend graduates, they'll probably ask him what sort of benefits he wants. How many days off does he want to take? You know, His boss may even ask him how much he wants to get paid. Software, software companies won't have any leverage at all in five years. I think we're seeing the same thing in the NBA, you know, right now. Teams have little leverage. It's a player's league. But it's always been a player's league. Now it's becoming more clear. This isn't like the NFL where you can just cut players and trade players however, however you please. The Patriots cut AB. You know, even though people think that AB is a top five wide receiver all, of all time, he got cut. You know, I don't really care how good you are. If you can't make it in New England, then I don't think you're that great. The NFL and the NBA are two different brands, and the NBA is all about the individual player. Um, for example, the Raptors won the, the finals last year, and everybody only talks about Kawhi Leonard. When there were other guys in that team that really contributed that people forget to notice. You know, we play the lottery to get leverage. Life is all about leverage. Kawhi was up front with this to the Clippers, and he was never being deceitful to the Clippers. He was never trying to you know, deceive them in any way. Clippers fans and the Clippers knew exactly what they were getting into. He negotiated it. He held all the cards and he said, all right, I'll come to the Clippers, but I want you to keep Lou Williams. You got to get me Paul George and I want 20 games off. And the Clippers knew exactly what was going on. They got Paul George. They kept Lou Williams. And that was that. Kawhi can sit out of games and the Clippers will still be favored. Right? Load management started off with the Spurs dynasty then shifted to LeBron, and now Kawhi is running it. NBA players are like the young tech workers with comp sci degrees. They, have, they all have leverage. That's why they get paid so much. Some people in the newspapers and on the radio are freaking out and saying, this is going to hurt the league. Please. We have somewhere close to 50 sport networks today who are all dying for something to talk about and dying for content. So let's say NBC Sports, TNT, and ESPN removed the NBA from their um, broadcasting. They didn't show any NBA games. I guarantee you that within 10 minutes, the NBA would be broadcasted on CBS, Nickelodeon, Discovery, National Geographic, all these channels, right? Because everyone wants those. And the top five things that TV stations fight over are usually the NFL, the Olympics, World Cup, NBA, and college sports. Stuff like that gets huge ratings. So why would the NBA begin to struggle financially because of load management? It makes no sense. Let me tell you guys this. This league has always been a player's league. It's always been a star-driven and dynasty-driven league. And yet people always freak out about dynasties. The whole league is built on a dynasty, starting off in the 50s and 60s with the Celtics. Every team in this league is trying to be a dynasty. The Warriors were a clear dynasty for what, almost five years? I'm watching the Lakers and the Clippers play, and the rest of the Western Conference will be lucky to get one game from either of these teams come playoff time. If you're a Lakers or a Clippers fan, you might as well save your spot for the parade in LA right now. 
because one of those two teams is going to win it all this year. That's for sure. The players have always run have always run this league. Remember Shaq? Orlando was too small for him, so he wanted to go to Los Angeles, and he made it happen. It's always been a players' league. So Tom Brady and Carson Wentz have one thing in common, and it's that both of them are being subject to this malign criticism because they don't have any weapons on their team, right? Both Brady and Wentz have little to no weapons. Well, Brady has more weapons than Wentz. Wentz is struggling because he has guys who can't catch the ball. Brady's struggling because his guys are too young, some of them. And first of all, like like I said in previous podcast, um, the Eagles are the tower of terror of the NFL. You know, I'll remind you of their season thus far. They barely beat the Redskins. They lost to the Falcons, lost to the Lions. All right, they beat the Packers. They crushed the Jets, lost to the Vikings, got humiliated by the Cowboys, beat the Bills, beat the Bears, lost to the Patriots, lost to the Seahawks, and then, oh yeah, they proceeded to get completely embarrassed by the Dolphins. The Dolphins pulled one of the best trick plays of the year on them. And who is the number one person that Eagles fans blame for this? I'll give you a hint. It's not Doug Peterson. It's not Jeffrey Lurie. It's not Howie Roseman. And it's surprisingly not even the defense. Eagles fans are not giving Carson Wentz a chance. They're not even giving him a chance. Nick Foles is not coming back, so stop waiting for him, okay? He won you a Super Bowl, and now everyone wants to say that he's the best thing since sliced bread, all right? You know the saying, uh, a broken clock is right twice a day? When the Eagles were in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, the clock was finally right. Alright, the clock was finally right. Now, the Eagles back then were a better team than they are now, but still. You know, I still think that Super Bowl was a fluke, and this season has proved that that Super Bowl was a fluke. After that win, they all got big egos, started writing books, started writing horrible checks, and they started to have a lot of swagger as a team, even though they really didn't, they weren't really, they weren't really that good. They then proceeded to get embarrassed in front of their fans time and time again. And now they're looking like they're going to go back to the dark ages of the Eagles. The Eagles couldn't even beat the Dolphins. Let that sink in. The Eagles lost to the Dolphins. Let that sink in, Philly. I know that all of you have been you know, used to pointing your finger at Carson Wentz and calling him trash. But honestly... He's doing a, a fine job, in my opinion, with the weapons that he has. He's got 20 touchdowns, and he's thrown 2,500 yards. With the guys he has around him, I'd consider that a pretty good, you know, pretty good rating. It seems that every week, they drop a wide receiver and then pick another one up. And they expect Carson Wentz to magically form chemistry in a week. Really, Doug Peterson. And knowing that you have no weapons, no wide receivers, you know, as a coach, you wouldn't really want to call more than, you know, 20 passes a game, right? Especially if you have a decent running back in Miles Sanders. But they have Carson Wentz throwing 36 times a game to absolutely nobody except for Zach Ertz, right? And, you know, Aguilar's on and off. Mostly he's trash. And... Now, people are seeing this, and they're watching Carson Wentz struggle with the guys that he has, and they're automatically reacting by saying, oh, he's trash, you know. But what do you expect? 
this is what the this this is what the Eagles organization is doing to Carson Wentz. They're saying, "Here, Carson, take this bird poop from our very own Eagle, and by the end of the week, turn that bird poop into a nice apple pie." No ingredients. Oh, you, you can't do that. Oh well, you suck then, right? Makes no makes no sense, right? Poorly run franchises react poorly to success and failure. The Eagles reacted poorly to winning the Super Bowl. In New England, you would never see that, right? They got big egos, and now they're terrible. The Browns are still a laughing stock, even though they got Odell, who is the icing on the cake. However, like I told you guys, icing cannot save a cake, and he is not saving the cake for them. The Browns are poorly run. John Dorsey has a big ego and won't let go of Freddie Kitchens because he doesn't want to admit he got the, the wrong head coach again. Let alone admit that he made it a big mistake getting Odell. You know, he attracted more noise and more, and, and more cameras when they really need to get to work. You know, Odell is busy doing dance videos on Instagram and Baker is on the set of a progressive commercial. I'll say again, poorly run franchises handle success and failure poorly. In New England, for example, everybody thinks that, oh, the Patriots aren't, aren't doing so well this year. Looks like Brady has found his cliff. Please. NFL wide receivers are like major league bullpens, in my opinion. You have to have a Chris Sale as your ace, then a solid two, and, you know, a few good pitchers here and there. Because let's say your ace goes down with an injury. You have to make sure that your number two is good enough to pick up his slack and that your number threes and fours are good enough as well. You know, I think Edelman has always been a solid two. He's always been the sneaky guy to get around and make the catches because number the number one had always been Gronk, right? Now, Edelman and Josh Gordon worked well because they were both two, and, they, and Edelman could sneak around. But he's not exactly an ace in my opinion. When he gets doubled, it's hard for him to get open. I mean... After that, and all the injuries, you know, you know, after Josh Gordon leaves and they had AB after AB gets cut, you know, after Philip Dorsett keeps getting hurt, right? Now he has to, Edelman has to move up, you know. Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry have to move up, and you know Brady's having a tough time getting on the same page as these receivers. You know, Tom's forty-two. You know, he doesn't have time to like to waste in his career to babysit these young guys. Something has to click between them. And when it does, watch out. So I'm going to call my friend Dante right now. Dante Damiano is about to come on and give us some um, some advice and some, some takes about the Patriots. So uh, I'll play the audio right now. All right, this is a segment on the podcast called Big D's Big Takes. I'm joined now with Dante Damiano. Uh, he goes to Quinnipiac University. Um, big Boston sports fan, and, and uh, you know we got him on today after a tough loss against the Texans on Sunday. So um, Dante, first question: uh, What were your takeaways from last Sunday's game against the Texans? Yeah, so obviously it was a very slow start by the Patriots, struggling in the predominantly the first half, and they seemed to pick up the pace going into maybe the end of the third, start of fourth. Thought we were going to see another uh, Super Bowl like comeback, but the 
the wide receivers just seemed like they could not get open. You, we heard Brady on the sideline saying he had to be more fast or more explosive. We saw a play by uh, Philip Dorsett where Brady looked to have overthrown him, but if you go back into the footage of that play, he just stopped running his route, and that route would have mirrored Danny Amendola's game-winning touchdown, mm-hmm. I think, two years ago in yeah. the Jaguars game. Yeah. So the, the main problem for the Patriots is, is the wide receiver, is, is the weapons. Like, all the time people are saying, oh, Brady's on a cliff, he's over the cliff, but it's the guys he's working with. He can't do, he can't do much <coughs> Excuse yeah, me, exactly. with the guys he's got right but, now. What's that? You can't do much with the guys he has right now. He's doing the best he can. No, it's a revolving door of wide receivers. Like, at the beginning of the season, we had Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon, and then Mohamed Sanu is just, what, a couple weeks in with the Patriots? Yeah. Edelman, is Edelman battling an injury? I feel like he's always listed as questionable. Yeah. Teams can just and double same. Edelman. What's that? Teams can just double Edelman. Yeah, and then uh, Brady has white, but... Uh, Teams are starting to put a cornerback on White, which is limiting his production because he's great against linebackers. Yeah. So, with all this in mind, um, can we still consider the Patriots as a Super Bowl favorite? Can, can we still say that, that they're like a favorite to win the Super Bowl? I don't know about looking at it now. You can't say favorite, but they're absolutely like Super Bowl contenders. Because last year, going eleven and five. Everyone was writing them off. Everyone was telling, uh, everyone was saying that they're going to lose to Kansas City. But Brady just has a different switch that he flips on in the playoffs. He just he's the greatest of all time. So he finds a way to win the game if that matter. What else do you think the Patriots? You think there's anything the Patriots should do um, before the playoffs? Maybe acquire a wide receiver or something like that. You think anything like that should happen? I mean. I would love to see Antonio Brown back on a Patriots. Really? That's a that's a far reach. That's a reach. Really? You don't think you don't want Antonio Brown back? I mean, I think that it'd be it'd be good for Tom Brady, but it just be, I don't even know. Like Antonio Brown's not wired right. We don't know what's going on with him. Like, hey, I don't care what's going on is on in his head or off field issues. All I care about is that if he can play football and help us win a Super Bowl, that's all I care yeah. about. All right, all right, I like it. All right, let's shift to this. Uh, so Kyrie Irving had a little bit of a falling out last week. wrote a wrote a big Instagram post about uh, you know basketball and you know putting a damn ball on a damn hoop and all this stuff. Um, what were some of your takeaways from that? Like as a Boston Celtics fan, you know. I mean, Kyrie might be one of the soft, one of the most soft athletes we have ever seen. I mean, people always call LeBron soft, but. Kyrie is just on a whole nother level. This is why LeBron always referred to Kyrie as, as you know, this kid is great. He never said this man. He always said yep. this kid. Yep. And then to top it off, the Nets might be the softest team in the league. Because then you got uh, KD, who's uh, Kyrie must have had a call with, like, tears flowing down his eyes after he saw the Celtics fans' response to that, whatever that paragraph was about. Yeah. And then, of course, KD had to go on to his uh, Twitter account. I think he forgot to log into his burner account. Yep. But he decided to respond to that. And it just made them look so childish. Like, what do you expect the fans... Like, do you expect the fans to, like, respect you and, like, just have love for you? Like, you yeah. basically admitted that you gave up on the team last year. Yeah, how about when he scheduled his nose surgery on Game 7 against the Cavaliers? What kind of teammate does that? I, I know. I mean, come on. Get, get the nose, like, wait a little. Like, it, it, like if you're going to schedule it, 
on a game seven. At first, I was like, oh, you know, maybe, like, he just wasn't thinking at the time and all of that. Like, I was one of the fastest people to defend Kyrie because yeah. he was a Celtic and, you know, I had to defend the team. But looking back at it, like, especially with him talking, like, talking about how he gave up on the team, that might just been, like, him just not caring. Hey, my thing is when, in the post, he's talking about, like, oh, I play basketball and this and that, like, it'd be like me, like, hopping on this podcast and saying, like, oh, you know what, like, like, these words, like, what do they mean? Like, all this stuff, like, Kyra doesn't understand that, like, we, we don't care, like, really, like, people don't really care about, like, like, oh, okay, like, these are, you know, basketball players, like, fans just want to see Kyrie play basketball, that's the whole point here, it's not that he's, like, being overlooked, like, people love to watch him play. Oh, yeah, he is a insane talent, like, I have no question about him, like, being a great basketball player, but he, like, I don't understand what his problem is, because, like, just read that, um, what was it, like, essay? He was probably writing that essay for Antonio Brown's English class or something. <laughs> Nothing made sense. <laughs> Nothing made sense. I didn't even know what the point was. He was just capitalized life like he was trying to make a point, but I just thought, yeah. it, was, I thought it was terrible. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Kyrie's, Kyrie's been missing games like that ever since he you know, left Cleveland. It's just something that goes on. Um, uh, in his contract, he has, like, a certain amount of games that he's just allowed to miss. Really? Yeah, yeah, I saw that um, somewhere on Twitter. I forget, <coughs> I forgot who uh, who tweeted it, but I read that and it was just it was just insane. You could never you could never play for the Hornets with Jordan because Jordan said uh, you're paid to play 82 games. Yeah, that's that's true. But I mean, let's let's, let's shift to this uh, like load management, right? So Kawhi Leonard, when he signed to the Clippers, he told him he said, "All right, well." I have leverage. I want to get Paul George, you know, Lou Williams that to stay. And he's probably telling him 20 games off. Is that like a trend that you like that you'd like to see with more players or how do you feel about that um, load management trend? Um I I don't really like the idea of a load management, but if it maybe if it has players such as like Derrick Rose like who has a um, history of injuries, like someone who's frequently injured and you're trying to keep them fresh for the playoffs. Then, yeah. yeah, maybe you can have, like, a load management. But these players, like, I could even LeBron, like, he's a great player, but he's never really gotten injured. So, in his last year in Cleveland, he played 82 uh, games, and he was just amazing. He's a great basketball player. Great but it, it, all, it all depends on, I don't know, it all depends on, uh, on the player. If they have an uh, injury history. Or if they just are like Kyrie, like Kyrie does have an injury history, so I don't know. I'm kind of torn. Yeah, I mean, going back to that situation, like, do you do you believe in the Kyrie injuries? Because when I saw him on the bench with Kevin Durant, like doing those moves and stuff, it didn't look like his shoulder was hurt there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It looked like he could have hopped onto the court, but I think he was a little uh, too scared of. Uh, uh, getting dunked on by Tatum, just like his father LeBron did in Game Seven. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what scared him away. Yeah. Um, so, what, like, in your opinion, what's the most important? What's the most important part of the Celtics this year? Is it the young core? Is it you know Kemba? Like, what do you think is the most important part of the Celtics? <laughs> I think the most important part is <clears throat> obviously the team chemistry is just miles ahead that yes. was uh, from last year. I feel like if 
last year's team had the chemistry that this year's team had, they'd be we'd be talking about that team much differently. Yeah, but we haven't. We but, they had a guy last year who writes Instagram posts for a living now, I guess. So <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but Kemba, he just seems so much less selfish. Like Kyrie is willing to drop sixty in the game and still lose and be happy with that game, and Kemba would be happy to score. 15 points in the win. Kemba has more of a winning mentality than uh, Kyrie does. He's willing to get uh, Jalen and Jason into the game and get more shots, and it's proven to be extremely effective as they're both averaging close to 20 points per game. Yeah, let's talk about that. So Kemba comes in with Jason Tatum, who's incredible, and do you think that Kyrie stunted Tatum's growth a little bit, you know, when he was in Boston? I think so because Kyrie just loves to dribble the ball. His handles are amazing, but uh, he I feel like he was basically giving the ball to Tatum when maybe five seconds on the shot clock and not allowing him to kind of just do his own thing. Yeah, really rush shots. Maybe that's why his uh, stats are just like oh, his points per game were was higher, but he just didn't look like the same Tatum we saw in the rookie season. But Kemba's more willing to give the ball up to him with like 15 seconds left on the shot clock and allow him to do his thing. Mm. Who's who's one player in your opinion on the Celtics right now that is being overlooked by everybody and you know it's just doing work for the whole team? Um Enos Cantor. Really? I think I think Enos Cantor. I mean, I have a few like I think Enos Robert Cantor Williams and Rob Williams. Yeah. He's I, really been he's, flourishing. He, What's that? He's really been flourishing this year. Oh, he, he has. He's a great rim protector, and he's just great at defense. And you have Edis Cantor, who's not the best defender, but he can. he's a great offensive rebounder. He's a just great rebounder in general, and he, knows, he, he, can, he can score, too. Yeah, he wears and, number 11 and, better. What's that? He wears number 11 better. <laughs> hey, that, we're retiring his jersey. Yep, yep, Give number 11. Too. Yep. But also, I feel like Jalen Brown is also kind of being overlooked because you have Tatum, who is just having, I want to say, a breakout season, and Jalen's just averaging, I don't know, 19.5, 20 points per game, just very quietly. Yeah. But this team looks good this year. I'm excited. Mm. Everyone was, be- was surprised about how the Celtics were, like, top of the rankings for a while, like, uh, 14-5, and five, you know, people were surprised about that, but, I mean, I'm not surprised. Their chemistry's, like, l- looking really good. Kemba's really a good addition to this team. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was really excited about the Kemba signing. I'm sure all the Celtics fans were, too. Yeah. But I don't think anyone really thought that the chemistry was going to just click this fast and how unselfish Kemba is because he used to be on a team with a bunch of bums and you have to do his own thing and now yeah. he's on a team with players that can help him and it's proven to work just uh, very very effectively yeah how important is Marcus Smart to to the success he's he's going to be injured now for a few weeks I mean wait a few weeks or, or what's the timetable I don't remember uh, I'm not exactly sure I really get a look at his uh, injury report all right, but anyway, the, the losing Marcus Smart is very important because he's cornerstone on on defense. Who's gonna step up when he goes down? Oh man, who's gonna step up? Like who are we gonna I mean, see I, shine more? Yeah, I feel like no one can really replace Marcus Smart because he can play point guard, shooting guard, small forward, 
power forward and center. He's he can do it. He can do it all. Yeah. But I feel like it's just gonna it's gonna hurt on defensive end. But I feel like just players have to step up. Like Wanamaker has been playing very good in uh, Hayward's absence. Yes. But he's nowhere close to defender smartest. No. But I just feel like the team's just gonna gather together and just try and uh, pick up with what they lost. Yeah. Maybe, I, maybe Grant Williams. I, I haven't seen too much of him, but he looks like a very versatile player. I like him on defense. Scoring, yeah. Yeah, no, he's a solid defensive player. Like, they run small ball, put him out at uh, center sometimes. Yeah. Small forward, power forward. They, he can play three positions, which I like. Yeah, I'm a big Carson Edwards guy, too. I, I really like him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I hope he turns out to be... Uh, an Isaiah Thomas like player. No, I'm sure he's not gonna average 28.9 <laughs> points per game, but yeah. you know, like what he was in uh, Phoenix and Sacramento. Yeah. The last thing I want to talk to you about is um, about the Bruins, actually. So uh, oh. you know, Pasternak recent, recently, uh, you know, having a great season. Um, Bruins looking good. Like, what do you expect from them this year? Uh, I mean, I've seen Revenge Tour. I've seen, I've seen it all. That. Uh, game seven loss was just heartbreaking. It still hurt. It still hurts to talk about. Yeah. But Pasternak's taken this game to a completely different level. He was already an amazing player last year and the year before that, and now he just looks like he's gonna score fifty goals a game. Hopefully, I don't jinx it. <laughs> but if he doesn't, if he doesn't get injured, he's gonna be a great player. And then Bergeron's out. Hopefully, he comes back soon. And this is another team with just great chemistry. They remind me of the Celtics. Like they, they both play like together. It's not a one man effort. It's a very team like uh, atmosphere there. Yeah. All right, I think well, we could see a deep another deep playoff run out of them. Oh uh, yeah. All right. Well, that just about does it for this segment. Uh, thanks, Dante, for coming on. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. That's gonna wrap it up for this podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, thanks for tuning in. I'm sorry for the long wait. Uh, it's been busy with the end of the semester. Next week, my exams are en- my exams will end. After that, consistently, we'll be posting these podcasts. Um, yeah, th- thanks for listening again. And be sure to check out all the other podcasts. Recommend them if you want. And uh, go Pets.